Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, technical editor at Bike Radar. And with me today, we've got uh, our senior technical editor-in-chief, uh, Rob Weaver. I always get your title wrong, but how's it going, Rob? It's all good, thanks, mate. Good stuff. And we've got our uh, tech writer, uh, Luke Marshall as well. How's it going, Luke? Yeah, all good. Cheers, Tom. Good, guys. Are you guys up to anything fun at the moment? Rob, what are you, um, what are you testing down on the mountain bikes? Ooh, um, so uh, pretty much just wrapped up um, my time on the Cannondale Jekyll, the new bike, the high pivot. Nice. And uh, yeah, yesterday I spent uh, a good few hours just trying to drain the battery on the new Nukeproof Megawatt, which has been really mm. cool. Cool. Been yeah. enjoying it? Yeah, that bike's awesome. They've done a really yeah. good job with that. Yeah, really good. I've seen a lot of really positive things about it in, in various places, including, well, obviously I, I rode it for a day. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, you've had it for a few weeks now as well, haven't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been it's it's one of those um, one of those bikes that you get on and you sort of think for a start the geometry is really easy to get along with. Mm-hmm. It's obviously heavy because it's a full bore, you know, like big battery e bike, mm. but it actually rides a lot lighter than it feels. If that makes sense, you, it's got quite a bit of pop in the suspension, so it's quite easy to chuck around. And and one of the liveliest sort of full fat e bikes I've ridden, I think. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Luke, what, what are you testing at the minute? Uh, so at the minute, um, I've got the new YT Capra uh, Generation 3 Core 4 model. So I just put in yeah, a little bit of time on that and getting used to that. And uh, and that's going to be out in the magazine in the next few months, I think. Mm-hmm. And then also just kind of wrapping up testing on the new Trek session. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, we made a little video uh the trek session against the specialized demo and that's just come out on um on bike radar's youtube channel so cool. now just kind of writing up the uh the reviews for it to go uh to go online and uh, and in the magazine so it's kind of yeah finish up a bit of testing on that okay that's going to go into mbk 400 is that right both those bikes or yeah yeah they're going to go nice. into the yeah, mbk's 400th edition we're having kind of a a bit of an extended group test Mm-hmm. And that'll be on sale, I think, late September. Is that? I think that's about right, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. 29th of September, that should be on sale. There we go. And, we, yeah, we're picking, um, it's kind of like the headline bike test, isn't it? So we're picking, I think, eight eight really cool bikes that are sort of really relevant, really interesting, uh, and fairly brand new. So Track Session's one of those. Obviously, it's had a bit of success already and a uh, pretty rad little bike. Yeah, yeah. Blown away by them, really. They're, uh, they're two, yeah, they're uh, two good bikes. Happy how, days. How about you, Tom? What have you been up to? Well, oh, fans of the podcast will know that I've been testing brakes and wheels for, <laughs> I don't know, probably as long as the podcast has been going on, so 150 <laughs> episodes of the podcast. Um, I did manage to get all the brakes wrapped up a couple of uh, about a week ago, um, which is nice. Um, actually, I'm doing hardcore hardtails uh, for MBK 399, so that's my current bike test. Um, I've got some cool bikes. I've got um, Pipe Dream Moxie. Uh, which is quite an interesting bike. Um, I've got Bird's new Forge steel hardtail coming. Um, I also have uh, Kotick Beefy, Beefy Max, so the 29er one, um, and Ribble's 27.5 aluminium bike, um, called the Hardtail Aluminium 
imaginatively. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm testing those. Um, and then, yeah, the wheels uh, is, is also uh, ongoing, shall we say. Um, <laughs> I had, uh, I, I, I've been trying to, I tried to get ahead with my wheels test um, by doing a lot of like the admin around it, you know, like measuring everything and weighing things and all that sort of stuff so that I can really hit the ground running when it comes to uh, getting it written. Uh, and I had a lot of notes on my phone, on a little note-taking app on my phone, um, which I deleted <laughs> along with all my notes. <laughs> so that's about two days solid work in the garage, just pissed away. But there oh, we go. Dear. Good old It'll technology, eh? Yeah, I love it. I love it. But um, so, yeah. Um, so you will probably have noticed that this is a Friday, so it's not our standard uh, podcast slot, which is every Monday, um, but it is the sort of the cycling week of the Olympics. Um, we've had the men's and women's road race uh, today, which is Thursday. Uh, we had the time trial uh, for the men and the women's time trial is tomorrow. But we've also had uh, the men's and women's uh, cross country race out in Izu in Japan. Um, and... Boy, it was a. Uh, both of them were really good races. I think. Did you? Do you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think. Uh, what jumped out at me was um, my wife and and even my dad was avidly watching those races, mm. and the first thing they commented on was just how technical and tough the track looks. Yeah. And 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 you know those guys don't ride, uh, and so. Yeah, for, for them to kind of pick up on that. And, you know, my wife was even saying, God, they don't, they're not even wearing any kind of protection and it looks crazy. Mm. And so, yeah, it, I think it made for some really tough racing. There didn't ever really seem to be any kind of let up where the, where the racers could sort of ease off and Chill sit out back. For a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good advert for mountain biking. I think, you know, if, you, if you're going to have it on the world stage, they couldn't really have done a better course for it. Yeah, no, it was really good. Yeah, it kept me entertained. I would say I was up and ready to go and watching it. And uh, and yeah, the women's race was interesting. Um, and and the men's race equally, of course. So we're watching Tom Peacock. Uh, like the first couple of laps, you're there, you're kind of willing him to the front a bit more. Going, oh, is it going to happen? Oh, this was looking pretty strong. And then then when he did get to the front and shot off, then you're just kind of hoping that nothing ever happened to the bike or, or if I say, easily could have crashed on those let's say technical rock sections or drops and so uh yeah it was a yeah entertaining race and then uh and then the women's the conditions got a bit worse and that kind of spiced things up a little bit and i was thinking it was slippery for the men on having that kind of loose dust all over those rocks that is is never fun to ride and then i think they probably had the better conditions than the women having their kind of wet rock slick mud so uh yeah thoroughly enjoyed it and like you say a real good advertisement for the sport and uh Hopefully get other people interested in it or show how extreme it really is these days. Mm. I mean, you know, our listeners, I'm sure a lot of them will have known what happened in the races. So we're not going to talk too much about the race itself, but, you know, Bike Radar is sort of quite tech focused. So we thought we'd have um, a look at the uh, the bikes that made it to the podium, really. We thought we'd run through the um, top three bikes on the women's race and the top three me- bikes on the men's race. Because actually there's some really interesting things going on there. Um, there's certainly a few bikes that we haven't really come across um, in the UK, so I think they're worth talking about. Um, and Tom Pidcock's bike in particular, um, which we'll cover off at the end of the podcast, had an awful lot going on with it, some really interesting stuff. Um, so we're going to try and pick out some of those details uh, and, uh, yeah, see what they were riding. 
So shall we start off um, with bronze? Uh, so we do bronze women's bike first. So uh, in the bronze position was Linda Indigand. So I'm sure, as you've already said, everyone knows the results. So it was a Swiss um, one, two, three, which was really impressive. Mm. Um, so for those not in the know, Linda rides for Live. So it's um, the sister company of Giant Bicycles, but they use their own women-specific geometry. Um, and so yeah, Linda was racing on the Peak Advanced Pro 29. So that uses a carbon frame, 100, just 100 mil of travel, uh, using their Maestro twin link suspension design. Um, she's sponsored by Fox, so unsurprisingly has the factory fork and shock. So in this case, it's a 32 step cast out front with 100 mil of travel just to match the rear. And I guess what's really interesting about Linda's bike is that she is using the live valve system. So that means mm -hmm. um, the fork and shock are connected, and then there's a series of sensors across the bike. There's obviously a battery. And then there's a small sort of uh, servo motor, which will then help adjust the suspension as she's riding. So it's yeah, uh, fully automated in a sense. You get to basically choose from five sensitivity settings. And it's not something I think I've seen a lot of in the cross country, mainly because obviously with that, comes a weight penalty you're carrying an mm. extra battery your bike needs to have um i guess the relevant infrastructure in order to hold the battery hold the the cabling because it isn't wireless it's cabled um and so yeah it is interesting to see that that's what she was using and you know having used it personally myself it is it is something that can make riding really efficient Okay. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think um, I use it on a trail bike and it's one of those things where it's, I think it's integrated seamlessly enough that you don't, you're not really conscious of it. You can just occasionally hear the little whir of, you know, valves opening and shutting, but otherwise it doesn't really, it's not like you can catch it out. It's quick enough that it can react and, um, the settings can change that you never feel like you're on top of it thinking I need this or I need it to do that. It's, it's, you know, it works that well. So I thought it was really interesting that she was using that. And, and I guess with such, um, well, I guess with so many technical sections interspersed with those punchy climbs and, you know, those awkward descents, having one less thing to do, one less remote to push mm. would probably make a, a real difference. I think, um, and so, and also it means, whereas, you know, where I think if, when we go through the rest of the bikes, I'm sure we'll see, but because of the nature of the course, most racers were using a dropper post. And so if you want a dropper post and a lockout, it means another lever under your bar, another thing more to cables. get in the, more cables, another thing to get in the way, another thing that, you know, you have to be so well drilled in exactly where you're pressing at the right time to not, you know, drop your seat rather than lock out shock or, mm. you know, whatever it might be. So um, Linda's live was really clean in terms of handlebar setup and, and just has the, the dropper remote for her Fox transfer SL post, which mm -hmm. it looked like she was running. I'm, I'm totally guessing because I think um, 
I got most of my stuff by looking at pictures from Instagram. <laughs> so you weren't you weren't in Japan. No, you weren't no, going around funnily, the pits. <laughs> funnily enough, I don't think I've been. Uh, I don't think I've been further north than uh, Ludlow. So. <laughs> let alone get on a plane and, and going to the other side of the world. So, yeah, yeah, just uh, just the old Instagram for all the info. So, uh, yeah, so it looks like she's running a 100-mil dropper post. But like I said, okay. it means that her bars are less cluttered, there's less things to think about. She can just get on with riding. And, and in theory, the live valve should just take care of mm. what her suspension's doing. Um, and, and, you know, and she'll obviously work really closely with Fox in terms of how she's, sets it up and as i said it's got five sensitivity settings but you can tune within those so fox yeah. will be able to tune how that how it operates within that so yeah again so if we stick with the cockpit she it looks to me that she's running um the pro components bar and stem so i think i think at least it is um where did i write it down got it somewhere yeah the tharsis 35 alloy stem yeah. around about it looks like 70 mil I, it looks looks longer than 60 for sure and it's a real it's so it's not negative rise but it's zero rise and she runs a flat bar but mm-hmm. she also runs the um the cane creek slam set which is a really low profile headset so she's obviously trying to get the front end as low as she can but without you know running an inverted stem with an you know mm-hmm. like a negative rise um so that's pretty cool. Um, and then what else have we got? Oh, yeah. Uh, I spotted... Um, so the bike is standard. I think comes with Recon race tyres from Maxxis. But instead, uh, Indigan's running Icon 3C, so the triple compound, max speed with XO casing. But she's running something that I haven't seen on this particular tyre, the 170. So there's a little... There was a little... Um, patch on the tire that said 170 which i believe is in reference to uh, the tpi count mm-hmm. so 170 threads per inch so i'm pretty sure most of the xc tires are 60 or 120 yeah options. so w- w- what does that mean then in you know if, if, if you're not familiar with what tpi really stands for what, what does it impact on so it would arguably give a more sort of um supple feel through the tire mm-hmm um so obviously if you're only running a hundred mil of suspension and probably more than likely going to run that fairly firm to make it as efficient as possible you're going to be generating a lot of traction through your tires Mm. so the more supple you can create it without it impacting on the support from the tire the better the traction is going to be the more it's Mm -hmm. going to be able to um deform around you know bumps and lumps and it would be forgiving, but also, yeah, in theory, should improve grip a bit. I mean, in in general, in general, you see that you know higher end tires have a higher TPI count, which maybe is counterintuitive. It's got more threads per inch; that's more material, but it isn't. It, they are lighter than they're, they're more supple, and they give that extra grip and, and yeah. comfort. You see it on, on the road bikes as well. Yeah, but she, you know, she's still got the XO carcass there, which should add a bit of support and protection in there. Um, but yeah, so. Again, quite an interesting thing to sort of to pick out there. Um, as a Shimano-sponsored racer, she also has full XDR, 12-speed transmission, and the XDR brakes. And um, the wheels are provided by Giant. 
So mm. the XCR one carbon wheel set. I think the one thing that, you know, looking around all the different bikes, especially those that are on Shimano sponsored um, athletes, you know, on the roadside, um, pre Tour de France, we saw what we think was a new Dura Ace uh, DI2 group set. Um, and there has been chat of a new XTR DI2 electronic group set coming at some point, but that's certainly not been spotted at the Olympics at all. So they're still on mechanical. Mm. Okay. Um, Luke, what, what's, um, what have you got? You've got the, the silver Cena Fry's bike? Yeah, so Cena Fry, she's a, a specialised athlete. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she's racing the specialised uh, S-Works Epic. Um, she's she's pretty small. She's like 151 centimetres. Um, so is riding a size small. I, I'm, I don't know what that converts to in feet and inches these days. I've, I've left the Imperial system behind. <laughs> And uh, I know only know centimeters these days, but um, but yeah, that's a, a hundred mil travel. I say, yeah, like specializes ultimate cross country bike. Mm. Um, interesting thing about that is where you're saying Linda Indergrand and the Liv use Fox's live valve. So on this, um, the specialized use the brain system. So the RockShox, Sid Lux, and Sid uh, SL forks both in the ultimate versions, um, but they both come with the, the brain technology. And I think, Tom, you probably know more about this than me. Have you have you ridden this? Is this what you tested? Mm. Yeah, so I've got um, the non-S-Works version of the 2020 Epic, um, which is when they released the latest version. So, you know, it's, it's it's a really sort of, for a cross-country bike, very long and slack, very modern geometry, you know, one of the more aggressive shaped ones um but the blur the the brain system has uh it's like a little brass inertia valve um there's one in the fork uh, and there's one in a little um sort of unit down by the rear axle uh, of the rear wheel they're not connected at all so unlike fox's live valve system where one talks to the other they're completely separate they're completely mechanical um but they have uh five positions of sensitivity effectively it preloads this little um inertia valve um, and the sort of the basic idea is, you know, a a bump hits the wheel, um, it pops the the inertia valve, opening um, the fluid circuit, um, and allowing the shock to work. Um, and then the 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 uh, this valve closes itself, and again then locks out the shock or the fork. Um, the the adjustment on it is basically how sensitive it is to to little bumps and knocks. Um, I think it's quite a marmite thing that the brain. It's certainly been around for quite a while. They used to have it on their trail bikes, um, and now it's basically just on the Epic itself, and not on the Epic Evo either. Um, so it's just on their race bike. They've tuned it for this one to make it a little bit more, uh, a little bit smoother in its operation because it's quite. It's got a, a definite knock to it. You you can feel it opening and closing, especially in in the the harder settings. Um, but that's been. Um, improved for this generation bike um, and certainly compared to the previous one that i rode it's it's a much smoother thing um personally i you know like we're, you know we're saying um with the the live valve if if you don't have to think about your suspension locking out or not if you if you can just let it do its own thing like for me that's a massive benefit on on a cross-country race when you're really trying very very hard and you know concentrating on what you're doing you the efforts you're putting in the technical stuff to not have to have one element of your bike's performance taken out of your control as long as it's doing it right i think it's great yeah so um i agree so i've, I've never ridden it and uh and so i don't have any experience with it but 
I know how difficult it is to ride when you're gasping for breath and these guys are doing mm. it for an hour and a half. So, uh, and that's me for 30 seconds. And I probably couldn't remember <laughs> if you look at my suspension. I forget sometimes at the top of a hill. So when I stop for a rest. Um, but yes, I think it's uh, quite a cool system. And, uh, and I guess that's, yes, specialized version of, uh, of helping their riders out. Mm. Um, and then there's quite a lot of other parts. And I guess on her bike from, from Specialized, really, and, and Roval, their uh, kind of in-house brand, is that sure? Um, so the wheels are the Roval Control SL29s, um, 24 spokes front and back, and quite wide, 29 mil internal diameter. So it's mm. almost getting on kind of Enduro width wheels these days. Um, and then on those, uh, she was running the Specialized Fast Track tyre with the T7 compound, Okay. So um, it's a bit more slow rebounding or a bit more damped tire than the fastest T5 that the uh, the other compound they come in. So I guess we said the, the rain they had over there before the race and the night before, um, it just adds, I guess, a bit more traction, maybe at the cost of, of rolling. But um, mm. but she was on the, yeah, the new, yeah, the new fast track with a, a T7 compound. So that fast track isn't the skinniest of treads either. They do the is it the Renegade? I think they do it. They do See, a, a Renegades are faster. Yeah, we say more yeah, dry yeah. tire. So Specialized have said this is kind of the tire that will handle the most technical course or the most grueling conditions. So that's mm. kind of the tire she chose for. The, and, and I guess the conditions were out there when you saw them struggling to get up some of those steep banks. They were. You can see why they wanted a bit more grip. It's the tire yeah, they sure. put on the Epic Evo. Yeah. The more aggressive version of that bike and i mean it's they've updated the compounds now haven't they because the old one was in the wet especially it used to break away pretty quick and mm. it wasn't brilliant under braking so it'd be interesting to see how these actually handle yeah so um yeah so that's the wheels uh like and then the rest of the kit is kind of a lot of it comes from shram as well so it's, uh shram reverb access dropper um I don't know the length of my head, but I imagine 100 mil. 100 if, mil, yeah. If that. Um, and then, yeah, SRAM, XX1, Eagle, AXS, drivetrain as well. Um, like a 1050 tooth cassette, so not the 52 tooth. Um, and then using, this is probably something I can't pronounce, but the um, the power meter cranks. So the quarks, quark, 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 that's it, quark. yeah. Yeah. Um, so quark power meter cranks as well, which I guess and on a Wahoo head unit, um, just good information to have. I guess a few, a few races had uh, I guess that information to them and, and use that. Um, yeah, brakes come from SRAM again. So Charles, if you go onto the Specialized website, you can pretty much, if you were to buy the S Works Epic itself, bar the updated tires that are now out there now, um, and it doesn't come with the access reverb dropper but the the spec is pretty similar so it's actually mm. you could pretty much go out and buy an uh an olympic worthy bike just straight off the shop floor it's quite, quite a bit of cash for a, an extortionate amount of money but yeah <laughs> yeah but it's, it's quite interesting to see that you know um and i'm sure there's lots of little tricks that the mechanics are doing to those bikes that the ones on the shop floor don't have mm. especially when i imagine it comes to the bearings and um, yeah, spoke tensions and, and all that stuff, but um, but yeah, so size wise, then she's on the she's riding a, a size small, 
Should we have um, a look at uh, Yolanda Neff's bike? So obviously uh, Yolanda came in the first of the Swiss trio. Um, it was a really impressive race. She finished quite a way ahead as well. She had a, a good gap on them. It was uh, a minute, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, her race itself was fairly um, action-packed. There was a bit of uh, a few little tussles with uh, uh, Ferron Provone and stuff. It was, uh, she'd certainly earned her victory, I think. Um, so she races for Trek, Fact uh, Trek Factory Racing. So she's on the um, Trek Super Caliber. It's actually quite an interesting bike in that, you know, most uh, cross-country race bikes are basically 100 mil travel front and back these days. Um, but the Super Cal is, uh, has 60 mil of travel at the back. Um, so it's a little bit shorter in travel, a little bit lighter. I guess it's almost like the soft tails we used to see um, 10, 15 years ago, but probably slightly more refined with a bit more control in there. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's like a little pivot um, hidden uh, behind the cranks in sort of the usual place. And then it uses flex stays. Um, and then there's a fairly unique, well, it's completely unique shock, um, which sits semi-shrouded in the top tube. Um, and that's built by Fox uh, for Trek. Um, and it comes with um, a cable actuated lockout as well. Um, what I thought was sort of kind of interesting is, so Neff is sponsored by SRAM. So she's running um, a SID SL fork with 100 mil of travel, um, as well as you know SRAM's uh, Access Access One drivetrains. Now SID's forks come with black stanchions, and the top end Fox stuff comes with their Kashima coated shocks. Um, they're actually running what I guess is basically a um, a performance level shock on that fork, or at least well maybe not performance level shock internals, but they're not using the, the Kashima stanchions on that bike. And I guess that's kind of like a, an aesthetic nod towards um, their main suspension or component uh, supplier SRAM. Um, if you're running a gold stanchion on there, it's pretty obvious that it's Fox. Um, so I had to do a little bit of zooming in just to make sure it was definitely a Fox shock on, on her bike. I, mean, I thought that was interesting, judging by your faces on Zoom. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just listening. I was fascinated, uh, Tom. There we go. Um, so yeah, um, the the rest of the bike again actually is um, it's a fairly standard model from um, Trek, as far as I could see. Um, so she's running a lot of Bontrager kit, as you'd expect from from Trek. That's their in-house brand. Um, so she's got the Covey Triple X wheels, um, which is their their carbon wheels, um, and she's running their XR2 Team Issue tires front and back. So. Much like um, with Cena Fry's tyres, she's not using the skinniest ones, which would be the XR1. And given the conditions, I was not surprised, but you know, if she'd been running the XR3 tyre on the front, which is, again, slightly knobblier, I wouldn't have been overly surprised, um, given how greasy it was looking, certainly earlier on in the race. But she was um, bossing it around on the XR2s, which are definitely some pretty fast, relatively skinny tyres. Um, she's running an electric reverb as well, um, 100 mil of travel on that. And she's got a, had a little tool pack on the back of the saddle. I was chatting to someone else about this, and they're like, "Oh, if you get a puncture or if you have a mechanical out on the race, you know, you're pretty much done for." And I said, "Well, if you've got like, um, you know, a CO2 canister and a little tubeless plug, you, you're going to lose 30 seconds. But you know, she won by a minute. You can certainly fix a puncture in under a minute. So it probably is worth on an XC race actually carrying a little toolkit, multi-tool, CO2, and a, and a tire plug, because it could get you out of a sticky situation." Um, we. Was I, okay? Could you see the tools? Because I think every rider had one of those strapped oh. under their saddle. I think that's some maybe that part of the transponder thing. Yeah. Well, so you say that, but on Tom Pidcock's bike, you can see the transponder on the fork. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you would, if you go hunt through a lot of races, you'll see on the race day they've all mm. got these little, uh, you know, they might all be carrying tools for it. But I think. Um, oh, I stand. Should I stand corrected on that? So, but yeah. So what do you think, we, Rob? <laughs> Adjudicate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll have to, um, I, I think I'm going to probably have to side with Luke because I didn't oh, okay. notice it because I was I was looking because initially I thought. Um, I mean, when you see that initially, you, you sort of look and you think, "Oh, is that is that just a, an access battery for the dropper?" It was, be, it was behind the access <clears> battery. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but then I, I noticed it on a few more bikes. Okay. And I did wonder whether because it's it's kind of I'm pretty sure that's what they use on the road, isn't it? They have the, the yeah, transponders have on the, transponder up behind the saddle. There. So I thought potentially that your point about carrying stuff to fix a puncture though, Tom, is still absolutely Thank you. relevant. So <laughs> they definitely had it in their it. skin suit pockets. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously the the alternative is, you know, I remember when I raced cross country, there were definitely days when I hoped to get a puncture so mm. I could just have a break. Yeah, but you know. Well, I'm, I'm sh I've shown my ignorance and I'm suitably embarrassed now. I'm sure someone will will you know correct us so i think they were all just carrying tools i think everything <laughs> all had a, had a, <laughs> it's like olympics a... regulation tool yeah maybe it was them. a rule yeah you know how like the sailors have to have like buoyancy aids yeah. well the mountain bikers have to have a plug kit yeah. and a multi-tool so they sent everyone back from the start there line. And, uh, and some tire plugs <laughs> guys you can't you're not starting yeah. not oh, a well, chance there we go. <laughs> let's move on from that then um she was actually running, so Bontrager um, do have their own integrated bar stem system like Syncross do, um, which you'll have seen on you know, Nino's bike, for example. Um, now, from the, there's actually not that many pictures of um, Yolanda's bike out there um, from the actual race. So I couldn't really ascertain too much on, on the, um, the sort of length of the, the stem or the bars, but they're about 740 mil wide, um, usually those, and it looked like it's fairly stubby and definitely had a negative rise um so that was pretty cool now the one thing that she did have that we first saw um nino shirter using at uh was it navi mesto that was quite wet um but like some like wavy plasticky stuff um, on the down tube now uh, neck yeah. was using that here and as we sort of ascertained it's a way of sort of preventing too much mud sticking to the down tube um it provides a slipperier surface that also moves around a bit and can help shed a bit of mud um, but it's duct tape right Basic duct tape, yeah. 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 Other brands are available of strong adhesive tape. Um, <laughs> um, and the other nice thing about Yolanda's bike, um, and actually all of the Trek athletes, there's about 50 Trek athletes at the Olympics, um, covering everything from mountain biking, time trial, road race, BMX, uh, triathlon. Um, so they're using the Project One icon paint scheme. So Project One is Trek's um, custom paint um, program, which anyone can get, costs you a lot of money. Um, and they did uh, a really nice um, paint scheme for all of the Trek-sponsored athletes at the Olympics. It's kind of a blue, pink, yellow, red fade paint job and looks really smart. I think it's, isn't, I read somewhere it was based on um, a sunset or sunrise because it's the land of the rising sun. Ah, so um, nice. in, in Japan. So I think they've based it on yeah, like a sunrise. Or... That would make sense. Yeah. So there we go. Um, so yeah, I think that sort of largely covers off Yolanda's Yolanda's bike. It's a smart little bike. And there was a lot of Swiss riders, wasn't there? Across they both were, categories. Yeah, they were. I think the only people to take a complete full six-person complement of riders. Whereas the Brits, we had just the two, two. Evie, Evie Richards and Tom Pickock, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it depends where you are in the 
In the rankings. In the rankings, mm. yeah. How many how many riders you can take? Hey? Should we look at some men's bikes? Um, should we rattle through what we what we're running? Um, so who came in third? That was a Spanish guy. Um, yes, he was Serrano. very pleased. He was, he, wasn't he? And rightly so. He came kind of came out of nowhere on that last lap, and you're like, oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. Or, and he, hola. he was, yeah, he was very chuffed when he crossed the line. Understandably, I think I would be. Yeah. But yeah so uh, David Valero Serrano from mm-hmm. Spain. He races for BH. He was racing on the Lynx Race Evo Carbon. Um, the 9.9 is the closest to the, the bike he has. But his is far from standard, as you can imagine, mm. um, in terms of spec at least. I'm sure the frame is fairly stock. But um, So it's a carbon frame, 100 mil of travel. It uses a split pivot design. So where the uh, rearmost pivot is concentric with a dropout. That bike has a head angle of 68 degrees, a seat tube angle of 75.8 on the large NXL, I think. Um, so relatively steep compared to um, Indigans that I've just chatted about. Um, so, you know, in theory, should make for nice and efficient bike to climb up steeper hills, not sat too far back. But I guess to counter that, all frame sizes have relatively short chainstay lengths of 430 mil, hmm. which is pretty compact. Pretty short. Yeah, especially especially when you consider that's across the board. So everything from small to XL. So for a, a taller rider that's going to run a really high saddle or really high seat post, they're going to be sat quite quite far back, closer towards the, the rear axle, which isn't, which isn't the best, is it? I mean, obviously it didn't hold back old Serrano at all but um and then yeah um, reach it's hard to determine exactly what size bike he's right he's a big guy but if you look at the pictures of the bike in the saddle with the seat post is so high <laughs> which makes it look like maybe he's riding a large but has jacked up the seat post quite a bit mm. and, and in that case the large is only and he has a reach of 456 mil and the xl is 472 so it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to tell, and that seat post in question is a a bike yoke Divine SL, which I think is standard has eighty mil of drop, yeah. so uh, enough just to get it out of the way for the for the tech bits and pieces, and I guess if you're tall and rangy enough, you're able to kind of move around it without it getting in the way too much. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd still need like one hundred and fifty mil just to <laughs> just to be safe with my stubby little legs. Um, it's another racer on um, the Fox program. So he's got the factory 32 step cast fork up front, again with 100 mil travel, and a DPS Evil shock with a remote lockout at the back, which when you factor in that dropper post does make his cockpit look pretty busy. Mm. Quite a few cables and obviously you know two remotes to deal with on the left hand. Um, Serrano doesn't run... Uh, a standard or, or it, it doesn't have like the stock transmission that you can get on the 9.9 version of the bike. Instead, he's running a rotor crank, um, Shimano XTR Max, a 12-speed with what looks like an XTR cassette, but it's hard to be sure from looking mm. at the Instagram photos of it. Um, he is also sponsored by the... Have you? I don't know if you've heard of a tire brand called i think you say it, cha yang chow yang oh have you heard of it uh, no, I haven't. maybe chow yang. 
I'm not not seeing him in the UK, but it rings vaguely rings a bell. Yeah, I mean the if you look at the sidewalls, it's the the writing's huge where it, where it denotes the name of the tire. So these are the the Phantom Dries. So again, a low profile tire, dual compound, mm. uses shark skin sidewall protection, 120 TPI casing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 120 threads per inch. We're assuming, well, less rubber, therefore lighter. I'm not 100% sure what rims they were, but I think they're the Duke Lucky Jack Ultra carbon rims. And he was so, a Lucky Jack, wasn't he? He, did he well. was a Lucky Jack, yeah. Um, but again, it's one of those brands that we don't see a whole lot of for whatever reason. They're either you know not necessarily common on our little island or not massive outside of the you know, mainland Europe, potentially. Um, but yeah, so interesting bike, lesser known for sure. Harder to get any kind of information on, as you yeah. may have just gathered. But but good to see another another contender up there. And it'll mm. be interesting to see off the back of the success if we're going to see more of those bikes out there. I, I, I think his last podium in the World Cup was 2017. I think I wrote somewhere. So okay, yeah, because he not... hasn't for the last couple of years. It's not been a name that you've seen frequent no. in the top five, is it? No. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to see that he's he's obviously peaked just at the right time, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be worth keeping a close eye on him for the rest of this season, just mm-hmm. to see how he gets on. Whether that you know that surging confidence means that he's going to be back, sort of clicking off podiums on a more regular basis now. It'd be yeah. cool to see. Luke, who's uh, who have you got? Yeah, so another um, less well-known bike to uh, UK shores. So Matthias Flukiger's Tumus Light Rider World Cup. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? That is a big apology to any foreign listeners <laughs> out there that, um, that I won't get the correct Swiss pronunciation. So Tumus is how I've uh, researched how to, fa- to pronounce it, but uh, it, it's probably not quite so accurate. But Light Rider, I hope I can get that bit correct. Um, so, yeah, as I said, they're not so, not so common to uh, the UK. I don't know if we've ever had a, a, a tumor spike in to review or test. I think maybe on what mountain bike? A long, long, long time yeah. ago. Justin Lorette's? Yes, I believe and, he, uh, has, he has had one, yes. So it's a bit old school geometry. If you look at the head angle, um, the head tube angle, so 69.2 degrees on this on the medium that he rides, which I would say compared to say the say the specialized and and probably the new Scott is probably quite steep. Um, and the same, the seat tube angle on the medium that he's riding is 74.4, so probably a bit slacker. Um, so perhaps a bit more old school in shape, but it doesn't seem to slow Mateus down at all. So. Maybe there's an argument for that doesn't always need to be so radical or but yeah so the frame it uses a, a flex stay design um so yeah it, it would be a four bar link but say that that rear link is a flex stay um dish that 100 and 100 mil of travel um from a dt swiss f2321 uh remote lockout uh shock and then this matched with a dt swiss same f Two, three, two, one remote 100 mil travel fork. Catching um, names. Yeah, yeah. 
made by engineers. So um, rolls off the tongue. Yeah. So with those two kind of uh, yeah mechanical lockouts plus a uh, full XTR group set again mechanical twelve speed group set and a mechanical dropper post again there's quite a lot of cable clutter so there's like seven cables spread around the handlebars so why some you know some riders get to have this very clean wireless setup others out there still don't but again while it's nice to have that clutter-free look it, it doesn't actually make you any faster you know you can still get a, a silver medal of the olympics by having you know seven cables rattling around your handlebars um hopefully they didn't rattle no they probably didn't rattle no. fingers crossed his mechanics pretty sharp <laughs> and he yeah. would have sorted those up so he's right yeah. out wouldn't he? yeah maybe you want to get off the bike quicker if they rattle so you just go faster i don't know <laughs> but no i'm sure his bike is impeccably like works impeccably well but um <laughs> Again, so that and that rolls, and he's using say DT Swiss the XCR 1200 wheels, um, say the 25 mil internal width, and he's on uh, a Schwalbe tire, but I couldn't um, find the tread profile on the website, so it makes me think that possibly he was riding a prototype tire. So it's got the blue printed first ride on the side, um, and so, yeah, potentially there's a, a, a Schwalbe tyre coming out in the future on the XC version. It has a tread pattern that isn't isn't on their website at the minute. Um, I, I could be wrong and I could just be not seeing so clearly on the blurry pictures we can get online. Full XTR group set, uh, brakes as well, 160 mil rotors front and rear. In fact, that I got a few of these details from the uh, Thomas website where they are actually selling 100 limited edition models of his um, Olympic bike. Mm. And on that, they spec a a 32-tooth chainring. So I was quite surprised to see that. I thought that maybe he would have been on a 34-tooth chainring. I can't chain imagine but, he's got to be, hasn't he? Um, but, uh, yeah, so not not sure on that. But you think maybe would be on a 34, but maybe the short, steep, punchy climbs, they just, you know, mm. and there's not really any long, high-speed descents um, or very few, they were a bit more techie. So uh, maybe you didn't need the, the bigger chain, but that's yeah, up for debate. I mean, that's just what they've spec'd on this kind of uh, replica model that they've. Uh... I guess maybe it's just to make it a bit more user friendly. Yeah. So I think if they were to sell the Scott Spark with some of the chain rings that Nino uses when he's on like a 36 or even a 38, I think uh, it'd be quite, quite a tiring ride. <laughs> maybe if you buy the bike, Luke. And then yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's, give them some feedback. I think it's yeah, just the just the eight thousand eight hundred Swiss francs. So well, hours work for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're the boss, so you must get more. <laughs> I got two yeah. on order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, so apart from that, um, the only other thing that really stuck out was um, the handlebars are made by a German company. Um, called Bike Ahead, and, and they specialise in say, carbon fibre reinforced plastics, but it's a brand I hadn't heard of before. Um, I think they do some funky, like, tri-spoke mountain bike wheels. Yeah, I think they um, did, like, five-bladed spoke wheels or something like five that. Five-bladed, yeah, yeah. There's, um, one of the Danish riders was riding them. Um, yeah. Well, talking of bikes that you probably can't go and buy, um, should we have a look at uh, Thomas Pidcock's BMC four-stroke? So I think this is 
I was just going to say, I mean, you should probably just mention just the, I guess, the interesting setup here because Pidcock rides for a road team, essentially, mm. like Ineos Grenadiers, and they're sponsored by Pinarello, who don't make a mountain bike. Yeah. Whereas everyone else we've talked about, their main sponsors are all bike brands, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, Pidcock... Well, Pinarello did make a mountain bike, but it didn't look very good. Um, and if you look on the website, it's not around anymore. Um, so, yeah, so that's one of the things I actually wanted to talk about with, the, with his bike was that, save for the fork, it's basically not very many logos on the bike at all, which, again, might be uh, a nod to sort of Ineos's regular sponsors. Um, but, yeah, so it's a BMC four-stroke, 100 mil of travel front and back. Um, and it's a dual link um, suspension linkage. So it's got, um, instead of like a, a single pivot with a, a you know, linkage actuated shock, there is a, a small little dog link um, behind the, uh, just above the bottom bracket um, to help with the rear suspension's movement. Um, in terms of shape, the, the four strokes is actually fairly sort of up to date. Um, so a large has got a 67 and a half degree head angle, um, similar to the Epic. Uh, there's a 75.6 seat angle, so reasonably steep, and it's got a 465 mil reach. So, you know, the Epic's got a longer reach in a size large by about 10 mil, but um, it's certainly fairly contemporary in its shape, the, uh, the BMC. Um, so, yeah, so he, uh, the, the sort of the, the more basic stuff, we'll get onto the interesting stuff in a minute. Um, he's running a Shimano XGR group set, as were all of the top three men. Um, and he's running, so Syncross is a brand that is kind of part of the Scott family. Um, so you see it a lot, of, well, obviously on Nino's bike, um, but he's running um, Syncross Silverton SL wheels. Um, so they're a one-piece carbon wheel. So the rim, the spokes, and the hub shell is all effectively one piece of carbon. Um, so they're very, very fancy wheels. Um, they say that's done for lateral stiffness and, and a bit of vertical compliance and all that jazz to sort of make a very reactive, comfortable, efficient um, pair of wheels. Um, they've got 26 mil internal width, um, and he was running those, sort of, as I mentioned earlier on, some prototype Continental tires. Um, they looked pretty skinny. I guess it might be an update to the Race King, um, potentially. Um, obviously, they were dry, racing in dry conditions, so they could get away with a, a comparatively skinnier tire than maybe some of the women might have been running on their um, slicker uh, course. Um, and again, he's, he's running the Syncross Fraser ICS LSE bar, which is, again, an integrated bar and stem combo. So it looks like basically in, in the Oscar and Deers are buying bits of kit that they want on their bikes rather than it being, you know, the sponsors providing it perhaps. Because I guess, you know, Syncross, i.e. Scott, probably aren't going to be giving away that stuff to a non-Scott um, rider. We talked a lot about drop posts. A lot of pictures of Tom's bike makes it look like there isn't a drop post, but... BMC have quite an interesting dropper. It's called the Rad dropper, um, and it's integrated into the seat tube. So it doesn't. It looks like a traditional telescopic seat post, um, but actually it does drop um, up and down. Um, it's just a slightly smarter looking um, option. So the interesting stuff is his suspension. Um, so he runs SR Suntour um, fork and shock. Um, at the front, it's um, well. It's an Axon Works 34 fork, but it obviously he's got a slightly different damper um, or damper control attached to the fork. At the back, it looks like an edge shock, but again, 
the the air cans a little bit bigger um, than the pictures on their website suggest it might be, suggesting that it might be a prototype or a new shot coming. Um, and the interesting thing about it is it looks like it could be electronic. Um, looking closely at pictures from the Olympics and from Novia Mesto, um, there is a wire, an electric wire coming out of both the top of the fork and the back of the shock running to either a control box hidden behind the back of the shock or that could be a little servo motor controlling it with internal um, electronics inside the frame in electronics and battery. Um, we don't know many details about it. In fact, I don't know any details about it other than the fact that um, SR Suntour did put a cheeky little uh, emoji wink um, and some sort of comment on their Instagram saying, oh, what have you spotted sort of thing. So there's obviously something in the works there. Um, just sort of highlight, to be fair, um, it was Pinkbike that brought it to my attention, but um, there's a website, an Italian website called uh, .it. Um so I think it's like a forum. They got a load of spy shots from Novia Mesto, um, and that was also um, picked up by uh, .com, um, which is another cycling website. Um, they sort of first spotted it a little while ago, actually. Um, but yeah, so it looks kind of interesting. Um, so perhaps another electronic system on the market. Now, one of the things I didn't spot on any of the pictures was any sort of sensors. And so with live valve, there are sensors hidden in the fork crown and um, on the rear triangle somewhere. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you've got um, pitch sensors to kind of give you an idea of the gradient. There's accelerometers in the fork. I think they, I think they have a cadence sensor as well. Uh, yeah, no, they do have a cadence sensor as well. So it can tell when you're pedaling, when you're not, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how Suntor are going about this and and how it, you know whether the two are talking to you know whether the front and rear is talking to one another and. I guess this is the thing. I mean, it, it could be one or two. It could be an automatic lockout system like Live Valve, or potentially it could just be, um, you know, a, a self-operated one, but with a little blip shifter somewhere in the grip. So I had a look at his bars, and he has got um, he's got a regular XGR shifter on the right. On the left, he's got um, a regular dropper shifter with a cable coming out for his dropper. So if it isn't automatic, then maybe he's got a little electronic blip, like we see with the sprint shifters for um, ETAP. Um, on the road, uh, they mm -hmm. have little buttons that can sort of neatly integrate into your grips. And we've certainly seen people hacking SRAM access drivetrains on mountain bikes um, to give those slightly neater looking things. Uh, Danger Holm's done it, I think, on some of his bikes. Um, so perhaps um, SR Suntour have, have just gone down that, so it's a manual lockout, but electronic. Or maybe it is a bit more fancy with some sort of sensors in there that aren't quite as visible as you might expect um, on such a bike. So a Suntour his only sort of sponsor in Mountain Suntour Bikes? seemed to be the, the only really visible um, sponsor on the bike. I mean, okay, I guess maybe the, Conti as well. I guess what, Conti, the yeah. Uh, Ineos, the, the rest of the Ineos, Ineos team, right? Conti and the tires, yeah. Yeah, they're okay. on GP 3000. So, yeah. But it, there's, yeah, it, 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 everything was effectively blacked out apart from the fork, which was very, very noticeable. Um, well, and he's put videos out of the testing with yeah they? yeah so i think there's a definite tie in between the two interestingly back in 2017 pinarello had a soft tail version of the bike that they use in the paris roubaix mm -hmm. um and that was called the edss 2.0 system that was something that they developed and that had um its own little lockout system in there as well and i think that was electronic so i don't know whether they've 
they did that in partnership with SR Suntour back in 2017, or whether they're lending that technology, or whether there's absolutely no link. There's no nothing clear on that front. Um, but certainly it seems that whatever's going on with Tom's suspension, it is uh, an SR Suntour system that they are in development of. Very um, cool. The other little interesting note is um, Tom wasn't the only person running SR Suntour suspension um, at the Olympics, but he was the only one who was, who didn't have their pretty cool looking blue anodized stanchions. Um, he had black regular coloured stanchions uh, and I guess that's because the development of the fork has been ongoing um, and the blue one is like a special edition that they did just for the Olympic sponsored athletes but Tom decided not to run it. BMC makes some really good bikes which seem to be mm. highly underrated I think. Anything I think that maybe you and I have ridden in the past has always been seriously impressive. I mean, it, it does. It does seem just one of those one of those brands with such strong sort of such a strong engineering background mm, and a um, racing pedigree. Yeah, and then maybe not marketed to the fullest, mm. and it's, so it's almost a shame that they can't properly badge it up and sponsor Pidcock. But you know, I, I totally understand why. I mean, they've got um, Abelson BMC, of um, course. So they yeah, do yeah. have sort of trade teams, but it's not. It's it's not a trade team in the traditional sense of you know trek factory racing or specialized you know whatever it is it is like absalon's team and they use bmc's bikes hmm. um, yeah interesting that their top three men's brands are all quite um less well known so, so bh yeah. Thomas and and bmc i guess bmc is probably the biggest most popular one that hmm. the uk readers or listeners will, will know about but and they had a lot of success with absalon right yeah. So it wasn't like it's not like it's their first um time on the podium. Mm. But um yeah, certainly interesting. It'll certainly be really um really intriguing to see where they go from here. And if you had to take one of those six bikes home, which or to go out and ride, which one would you go for a ride on? I think for me, if I was gonna go and buy an XC race bike tomorrow, I'd go and buy an Epic. But given that I've ridden an Epic quite a lot, I'd love to try the Super Calibre. I've been asking for one for a couple, since they were launched and not managed to get a hold of one yet, but that would be the bike I'd love to go and actually go for a ride on. I'd take Pidcock's bike because yeah. he's small like me. <laughs> so you'd fit. I'd Do I, does that mean I have to ride around on Yolanda's bike? Because I think that'd be too small for me. <laughs> What about you, Luke? Yeah, I, I, well, just uh, the curiosity. I think it would be interesting to ride the BMC as well and uh, and see what's going on there. Yeah, I wonder if it will give you uh, superpowers, like it seems to give young Pidcock. <laughs> no, I think there's a, a whole different reason that bike goes fast. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it's been it's been vague. It's been. Oh well, no, I think <laughs> to be fair, if you're still listening. I think between us, we did much more research for this than well, certainly I've ever done for any podcast. So, uh... <laughs> so I, I think understand by vague for me, yeah. <laughs> I think we picked out some interest. There's there's been interesting details about all the bikes, though. You know, there's there's definite stories to tell for each of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and if you haven't watched, thank you very much for listening to the Bike Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe um, so they get beamed to your telephone. Every uh, every Monday morning at six a.m. Um, fortunately, that's all automated. No one's up at six in the morning, beaming podcasts around the world. Um, but there we go. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And uh, thank you, Luke. Cheers, guys. Cool. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.